You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 118. The appearing act is the first thing you learn. So translate that over into the world of work. How do we get clear about what it is we want to make appear? It's amazing how many people, if you just go around an organization and ask people, what is it you're trying to create here? In most organizations, you'll get 50 different answers. People are not clear about what it is we're trying to make appear. So let's just start there with clarity of purpose. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Hello, welcome to the show. I hope you're having a fantastic day and that your week is going just the way you want it to. I'm your host, Meg Rentschler. You are listening to The Star Coach Show, and if this is your regular Wednesday listening, so glad to have you back. We have a fantastic show for you today. If by chance this is your first visit to The Star Coach Show, well, A, you've picked a wonderful episode to begin your journey. And I want to invite you to explore our archive because you will find a mountain of experience to explore from our guests who share their experiences, their expertise, their specialty with you. You will find some shows that I have shared my own journey with you or different resources that I find to be particularly helpful in my work as a coach. And so settle into this episode today and then explore what other opportunities might be open to you through our archive. In addition, if you find value from the show, share it with your friends. Let other people know about the Star Coach Show. It is my sincere desire to help coaches across the world with the resources that we bring to the show. So let's talk about our resources in today's show. Our guest is Andrew Bennett. Andrew is an expert at building inspiring organizations. He does something really special with us today. So if you are a regular listener to the show, you know that we talk many times about how do we differentiate ourselves? How do we bring our own special talents and perspectives into our work as coaches that create our own special niche in the market. Andrew does that in a big way. We are not only going to look at how he uses his talent and his expertise as a magician to help transform organizations. We're also going to look at how challenges that he's experienced in his life have deeply affected his work and his belief in human spirit. It is a moving interview. Andrew gets vulnerable and open with us about some of his own challenges and how that is resulting in his belief in the human mind and heart as sources of incredible power. He uses that belief and his experience 
to teach managers and leaders how to create environments where innovation, resilience, and capacity for change absolutely thrive. I was enthralled in my interview. I believe you will be as well. Let's listen to my interview with Andrew and learn how the principles of magic fit so well into the principles of growth in organizations. And I'll see you on the other side. Andrew, welcome to the Star Coach Show. I am really excited to spend time with you. We were just talking about our pre-interview and how much fun we had and that we were just ready to jump right in and have some more fun together today. Yeah, it's so great to be here, Meg. I'm a, Like I said, I'm a fan of this show, the Star Coaches show. And as I've gotten to know you, I really admire you and appreciate you. Well, I, you know, mutual admiration here. It turns out Andrew and I went to the same university. We didn't know each other then when we were there, but we were there at the same time. We both grew up in Michigan. So you've got some Northern blood here on the call with you listeners. And we're going to talk about something absolutely fascinating today. I'd like to get started with maybe you giving us just a little background about what brought you to the place that you are right now where you're doing these really exciting, magical things. Yeah, well, that's probably a good place to start because I just celebrated 50 years as a magician. Congratulations. That's a milestone. Yeah, it's a big deal. I got a magic set for Christmas when I was seven years old, and it really took root for me. I got very serious about it. I had my own TV show when I was 14, put myself through college doing magic. Then I got into the business world, and one of my first bosses was Ross Perot. I was his personal assistant for six months, and when he hired me, he didn't know I did magic. And so I did magic at the Christmas party, the office Christmas party that year. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, Andy, that's real clever how you use that magic. From now on, whenever you do a business presentation, I want you to use magic in it. And so he kind of challenged me to do that. And that was my first attempt at not doing magic just for entertainment, but for using it to convey a message. And mm-hmm. so I had it, he, he put me, he gave me an opportunity to do that with the General Motors Board of Directors. Which blows me away. Here you are, this young, mid-20-year-old, you're in front of the General Motors Board of Directors, and you're going to do this presentation with magic. Yeah, and it was just like something out of a James Bond movie where there's a giant round table in a round room really kind of heavy. And so it got time for me to do this presentation. And I got up and started doing it. And I looked around the table and the body language. I started the presentation, you know, tearing up this newspaper. And I was talking about how we're on two different communication platforms and we're not communicating with each other and we need to make a decision. And so I'm tearing up the newspaper. It's tearing apart the company. And, you know, the body language was just like, what is this kid doing? And I mean, between arms crossed, snickering. Eye um, rolls, I'm sure. Oh, oh, yeah. And my internal, you know, my self-talk is, you know, well, this is the end of your career. And what am I doing? This is terrible. 
And then I get to the- for Ross to tell me to take the chance. He's established. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to keep going. Yeah. Uh, And I did trust him with my life. So I get to the moment of, you know, the big moment of, and the newspaper kind of all comes back together. It's all like, it restores itself. As I deliver the punchline, you know, we need to come together as a company and boom, the newspaper's back together. Well, it was pandemonium. I mean, the you know, like little kids, one guy stands up and knocks his chair over. People are pounding on the table, laughing. And I look back and Ross is kind of leaning back in his chairs, in his chair, just kind of smiling and nodding his head. Like, you know, I told you so. Mm-hmm. So that was the start of bringing magic into my business life. And, and I, you know, early in my career, I probably had pretty standard dreams for my professional career, which was I wanted to climb the ladder. I wanted to continue to make more and more money. You know, a pretty standard dream, I think, for a business career. So this was kind of cool that I was able to also bring this thing that I deeply loved for so long already at that point. And I just kept working at it and using magic. Every time I did a presentation, I'd use magic. And so I got better and better at attaching it to a message. And it really made people interested, of course, you know, at the very least interested. But it's also, there's been some, I've had some conversations with neuroscientists about this where We have a very strong belief that when people experience magic attached to a message that the left and right hemispheres are firing together, you know, so that our creative brain and our logical brain are opening up. And so that's pretty cool. Really powerful. Really powerful. Yeah. So, you know, magic has really become a real central part of my work in using it as sometimes as a metaphor, sometimes as a way of like physically demonstrating things like how we make assumptions, you know, how magic causes the audience to generate assumptions that aren't true. I mean, there's just a lot of ways. You talked about the company coming apart, coming back together again. Right. Oh, right. And, and even sometimes I even talk about the, the business of magic So, for example, magicians have to be extremely creative to continually come up with new ways of creating illusions for people. I talk about the history of magic, the roots of magic, and all of these are ways to really help people expand their thinking. So what about the roots of magic sort of to you help make this make sense, combine, that it all sort of flows together. What do we need to know about the roots of magic? Yeah, well, you know, I dug deeper into the meaning of magic as the result of kind of a magician's existential crisis, where I got to this point, I think in college, where it dawned on me that, okay, if you really had magical powers, why would you pull a rabbit out of a hat? Like, you know, what would that is, be really where you would go? Yeah. Right. Right. Like I'd probably make money appear, Yeah, uh, you know, things a lot more practical. So I kind of had this, like, what's the point of magic? And so that led me down this path of research and looking at the roots of magic. And it goes back 
as far as we can tell, as far as we can learn, it goes back to tribal communities where medicine women, medicine men, shamans would do really simple magic tricks to give people an experience of the divine. So medicine women, medicine men, they were the spiritual stewards of their tribes, their communities. So they would, you know, they'd pick up a stone and they'd put it in their hand and then suddenly it's gone. And in that moment where when we experience magic, you kind of have that you draw your breath and wow, you know, that moment, that little moment is like this door opening and you get to peek into the world of possibility where I just saw something that should be impossible that was possible. And on some level, I think deep down inside, we say, wow, there's so much that's possible. It's this wonderful opening. This this excitement, this opening, this, you know, even for a moment, thinking outside of the box or thinking outside of the, right. the structure that we keep around ourselves that can right. keep us chained sometimes. So yeah, I just, I'm one of those people that's like, yes, magic exists. And yes, it is, you know, we have so much possibility that we don't even tap into. So, so tell me, does your yes. brain, does your brain not go to how do you do that? Does you, do you not just not go? I there? don't usually go there. So I'm more likely to go with like, why do we want to cut somebody in half? Cause that kind of grodies yeah. me out versus, and I'll probably go there afterwards at some point, usually because my husband's like, Oh, I'm going to figure out how they, you know, so then that kind of pulls <laughs> me into that conversation, but I'm just in that place of, wow, just like there's so much of out there. There's just so much available to us. And I'm usually in awe of the person's skill, like that, yeah. that they can, I am somebody who just, when some, when we care about something and we're passionate enough about something to groom our trade, our skill, our talent to that place where it's seamless, I just am grateful for that. I'm like, Thank you for bringing your special sauce to us. So that's usually where I'm. I'm usually sort of just in this place of joy. Yeah. And, you know, you and I spend our working life in the working world. And so this idea of that opening into possibilities that I call it the power of wow. So that moment when you, wow, if you think about the value of that in the working world, the ability to be in a space of, optimistic possibilities where the restrictions kind of fall away if we could like preserve that or or prolong it or expand it to to make space for possibilities joyful and i really mean that joyful you know because i think joy that's part of that experiencing of magic is there's a joy yes there's a happiness a hopefulness and excitement about wow what's possible and then and if we kind so, of look at the vibrations or the or the sort of the energy flow that comes from a place of joy and opportunity, it just is is so much more than when we're kind of keeping ourselves pushed down. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. So and then, you know, just kind of a, a little another part of the the stew. Because when I think about our lives, I think about this wonderful opportunity we have. You know, we've been given life and we have this opportunity to, 
you know, of course, the practicalities of making a living and then doing that so that you can bring your gifts, you know, your unique gifts to it and the things that you're passionate about, the things that you deeply care about in service of a larger purpose, which is we have this gift of life. Let's use it to make the world a better place. For me, climbing the ladder, making more and more money wore off. It, it, I got to that point where it was like, you know, is this all there is? And so the idea of, I want my life to make the world a better place. And so I had a lot of dramatic and traumatic experiences in my lifetime. My, my mother and my sister were killed by a drunk driver when I was three. Oh, I'm so sorry. I went to live with my mother's parents. My father really disappeared from my life. I think he was heartbroken. And yeah, maybe that grief just wiped him out, huh? Yeah. And, and it was a blessing to my grandparents who, you know, they'd lost their daughter and their granddaughter and to have me gave them mm-hmm. some hope and some life. They were Were your grandparents the ones that gave you the magic kit? Yes. Yeah. And my grandpa became my agent. Uh, He became my script writer. He was my chauffeur because I couldn't drive. He, I mean, he was the one that, you know, just made it all possible for me. I still use some of his jokes. Some of them I've had to retire because they're inappropriate. I, you know, I was 14 years old. I have to tell you this. When I was 14 years old, I was the opening act at a strip club in Traverse City, Michigan. Oh, my goodness. What yeah. Grandpa yeah. driving you there for your opening act in the strip club. Yeah, they yeah, had an so agreement. Maybe the, the kind of uh, jokes you used in that environment yeah. might be a little bit different than the boardroom, <laughs> huh? Not appropriate. <laughs> but anyway, you know, and then my grandfather, uh, when I was 17, committed suicide. Oh, my um, goodness. Not quite 17. My uh, grandmother became ill with spinal myelitis. It made her quadriplegic virtually overnight. And uh, for nine months, she breathed through a hole in her neck and had to spasm for every breath for nine months. For nine months. Bless you both. Yeah. And then later, you know, I, I bought my first house and the house became infected with toxic mold. I became very ill. I developed irritable bowel syndrome and my wife developed Hashimoto's disease of the thyroid. Yes. We had, the house was condemned by the health department. We sued the builder, but he had deep pockets. And so we had to throw in the towel. We went bankrupt. We lost our home. Oh, moved in, what moved into a, Yeah, moved into a three-story apartment building. And one day lightning struck the roof right over our bedroom and started a fire in the attic. And eventually the whole roof collapsed and and just destroyed our apartment. I mean, if you look at pictures of the building, it's like God said, we'll just take that one right there. We'll leave the rest of the building. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) And, And so, you know, it's like all of that added up kind of brought me to my knees. And after a lot of work on myself and spiritual work and and mental emotional work i've started to find the gifts in all of that suffering but it deeply affected my work mm-hmm. in in the sense that i i just think it made life very important to me like right like like i said earlier we we have this opportunity 
let's make the world a better place. And for me, that's about the human spirit and supporting people. And I've chosen to focus in the workplace, you know, mm-hmm. how do we how do we create workplaces where the human spirit can really thrive? Because the human spirit, I mean, that's everything to me. We're, you know, human beings are beautiful. We're good. We're born good. And how do we let more of that good come out? And unfortunately, you know, and more than ever in this world, we're not seeing the good. A lot of the focus is on the negative. And yeah. so soldiers, one by one, going out there and trying to impact and, and to get the, the focus to change. So how do you do that when you work with leadership teams? Well, I mean, part of it is finding the leaders that want to go there, yeah. that really share those values, because I don't think you can, I, I don't want to spend my time trying to convince people that this is why we're here. You know, people are at different places developmentally. Right. And, and organizations are at different places or, and developmentally. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't judge anyone for being at a place where the purpose of this organization is purely to make profit. It's like that Milton Friedman, when was it back in the 60s, when he said the purpose of an organization is to provide a return on investment for shareholders. And I think that really influenced the world of business that a lot of people, it it just became enculturated. I think that that's the sole purpose of, of a business. And I don't believe that's true. I, I think business is in the context of life. Mm-hmm. There's a bigger, a bigger point. So anyway, I think finding people who share those values is the starting point. People who really want to create a new model mm-hmm. in the world of business. And, and people who are interested in doing that, it's growing. There's a gr- growing number of people who are realizing that we can do better you know, that human beings can lift each other up and we can create workplaces that work for everyone and we can create a world that works for everyone. So the starting place is looking for people who share those values and then keeping a focus on what is our deeper purpose as an organization and then how does my personal purpose align with that so that when I come to work in the morning, I'm pursuing what's deeply important to me and I'm bringing my gifts in service of that. And so at the end of the day, I'm fulfilling what's meaningful to me. And in the process, I'm joining arms with other people. And by all coming together, we can really make this world a better place through the products and services that we we offer. So there's this finding the right leaders, there's focusing on deeper purpose and Then, you know, a kind of the shadow side of all of this is understanding the role that fear plays in all of this. You know, we all have some internalized strategies for dealing with fear, and fear comes up in all kinds of insidious ways. Absolutely. You know, so being able to recognize when you are reacting to fear. And learning to choose a higher, so, you know, fear is down at the reptilian brain, the primitive brain, Mm -hmm. and how do we learn to work with that so that we're able to lift ourselves up into the neocortex and a higher level of thinking where we're able to really access more of that beautiful part of the, the human spirit that is generative and caring and compassionate and uplifting and in service of a 
greater purpose. And so, you know, those are a few of the the things. And I use magic. I was going to say, so how know. would you use magic to, because those are heavy topics, right? So we've got, mm-hmm. let's say you get brought in for a keynote or you get brought in to do a presentation to a team maybe this isn't going to lead into ongoing coaching. It's just a, a one, but you're trying to deliver a different perspective. You're trying to open up possibility. And fear is, as you said, it's just foundational. And whenever we make a decision out of fear, it doesn't tend to be our best decisions that are made. So how do you potentially, how might you deal with that heavy topic in, you know, an hour? Yeah. I mean, wow, that's uh, hard to do. Yeah. The framework that I use that is based on the foundational tricks of magic, actually. So back 50 years ago, when I started learning magic, the first thing you learn to do is how do you make something appear? Like, you know, your hand is empty. That's right. A bunny out of the hat or, you know, a ball that, or a coin. uh, Or a card, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. It, the, the appearing act is the first thing you learn. So translate that over into the world of work. How do we get clear about what it is we want to make appear? It's amazing how many people, if you just go around an organization and ask people, what is it you're trying to create here? Mm-hmm. In most organizations, you'll get 50 different answers. People are not clear about what it is we're trying to make appear. So let's just start there with clarity of purpose. And in the appearing act, I mean, let's face it, magic is trickery. So I make something appear by initially hiding it. You know, that rabbit is hidden somewhere. And I'm going to pull it out from that hiding place. And I'm going to create this magic of something appearing. But initially, it's hidden. And so to me, the metaphor there is we have something hidden. In us, in our hearts, in organizations, there's something hidden. And what that is, is something deeper. It's that deeper purpose. And so the appearing act is finding that deeper purpose and making it clear to everyone, having conversations about what are we here for? How do our products and services make the world a better place? Because when you do that, you tap into inspiration. And inspiration comes from a Latin word, spirare which means breath of God, breath of, you know, it's something bigger than us that wants to breathe through us, that wants to express in the world. And so when we tap into that, it's a profound source of energy, which we need in order to achieve these great purposes. Mm -hmm. So that's the appearing act. And then the second part is, is the next lesson is we learn how to make something disappear. You know, I'm going to take that same bunny and I'm going to put him into a box and then I'm going to take the box apart and he's gone. Where'd he go? So the disappearing act is in looking at our organization, our work life. It's look, you can't do it all. What needs to go away? Mm. What do you need to say no to? What do you need to stop doing? What do you need to stop tolerating? Tough decisions like I think in the working world, the tendency is just to continue to add to the list. Right. And we've seen this, you know, in the past few decades where, you know, it just became commonplace for people to say, we're having to do more with less. Right. 
And the even list. for the audience here, for, for us who may be in business for ourselves, how often are we saying yes to things that are not really in alignment with what we want to do or where our passion is? And then what space does that take away for what we're really wanting to be able to be available to bring forth? So is it fear that we're saying, yes, I'll take that. Yes, I'll take that. And then in fact, what is that closing doors to without us maybe even being aware of? Yeah, I think sometimes it is fear. And I think sometimes it is good intentions, you know. Well, yeah, definitely. You know, it's like our eyes are bigger than our stomach kind of thing where, you know, I want more off the buffet, but man, I'm full. So, you know, and the disappearing act is also about the fear piece. When I talk about the disappearing act in a in a keynote, for example, there's kind of the two levels. The the one level is almost the tactical that we were just talking about. What do I need to say no to? I love there's an old quote from Stephen Covey where he said, it's easy to say no when you have a deeper yes burning within. That is a powerful quote. Yeah, to really be vigilant about what is deeply important, you know, at the end of my days, what do I really want to have accomplished? And and in order to do that, I'm going to have to say no to some things. So there's that tactical level of the disappearing act, but then there's a deeper level, which is, is about fear. And I don't think the objective should be to make fear go away. So much of reasonable. Yeah. I mean, so much of the popular conversation is about how do we make fear go away? How do we, you know, it's like, how do we become free from fear? And I think there's a deeper level of possibilities and and energy that is available when we kind of lean into our fears and say, okay, I'm, first of all, I'm probably not conscious of how fear is influencing my words and my actions. So let's first become aware of how it's showing up. Mm -hmm. And then once I'm aware, I can say, okay, why is that? And that deeper understanding can provide me with awareness that will affect all of my life, my relationships at home, you know, my friendships, understanding when fear comes into play and how I, you know, kind of compulsively, unconsciously knee jerk react to it without my awareness. Once I become aware of it, where it comes from, then I can start to work with it differently and say, okay, there's, there's my fear. So for me, it's, it's fear of rejection. Okay. And, for you know, many, understand, yes. Mm-hmm. Understandably with my history. Oh yeah. You know, you can kind of, it makes sense that that's where that would come from. And so my coping strategy has been to make everybody happy. I'm a compulsive pleaser. I want to say yes to everything. I want to make sure you like me. And it it became limiting when I was a leader, when I was working for Ross Perot. I went to Australia and got to manage a, a $5 million business there that we grew in two years to a $65 million business. Wow. Incredible. But it almost we almost lost the business because of my compulsive need to please. I was saying yes to our customers. They'd come to us with requests and I'd say yes to everything. And Ross finally pointed, they came to Ross and complained about me. I was just not making them happy. They were very unhappy. And that's what he said to me. He said, you know, you're trying to make this client happy is making them very unhappy. So that was my wake up call for this compulsive pleasing. Mm -hmm. So as a leader and 
fears are unconsciously causing you to say and do things that are really limiting, but you're not aware of it. Once I became aware of it, I had to start making some really courageous new choices about saying no. And in that particular case, I started saying no to the client, but I'd say, and here's why, because your goals, client, are these, and the requests that you're making are keeping us from delivering on your most important priorities. And then it was kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, so, you're saying no to us because you want a reason. Yeah. And, and instead of being a vendor at that point, we started becoming a partner. So powerful. Very, very different relationship. So when we start to become aware of our fears, we can make different choices that by benefit of knowing that we have those reactions, exploring them, coming up with different choices, our fears actually become a gift to us that allow, you know, that create breakthroughs. Mm. So that's the disappearing act. And then the third part, the third thing you learn when you're first learning magic is the restoration act, how to restore things. You cut a piece of rope. You had mentioned earlier, you put someone in a box, cut them in half. So that Meg gets all squeamy. Yeah. Yeah, and you had mentioned, like, why would you do that? <laughs> well, symbolically, think about the power of restoration in well, our that's lives. That's true. That's true. If I can get through the cutting part, then I always like the restoration part. Yeah, because the point of the magic trick is it's restored. You know, otherwise, you end up with an assistant who lives in Boston and Chicago at the same time. <laughs> so the restoration act isn't complete until there's healing. Right. So if you look at it in your personal life or your organization, what needs to heal? You know, we don't always talk about healing in a business context, in an organizational context, because it's a little touchy-feely. But come on. I mean, just because we label it touchy-feely doesn't make it go away. I mean, relationships get broken all the time between departments, between individuals. And so let's look at our business and think about restoration. What do we need to do in order to heal our relationships so that we can all be one working towards this deeper purpose that matters to us and matters to the world? So that's, you know, the core of my model. And that's the kind of structure I use in in a keynote. So how often does a company want to move beyond a talk into some solid work? Yeah, I mean, it, it happens. I always have one or two long-term projects going on all the time. So a consulting project that will include coaching, mm-hmm. a large component of it is coaching. And then there's training elements of it. There are strategy elements of it. but You know, like just a little while ago, I was doing a speech in Chicago and I was talking about these ideas and afterwards leader in an organization came to me and said, you know, we've had a lot of leadership churn. We've had a lot of chaos at the senior level. It's had an incredibly negative influence on our culture. We need to heal. Would you come and work with us? And so and, and what she said to me, you know, and I said to her, you know, what was it in my talk that appealed to you about, mm-hmm. about That's a good question? Yeah. About restoring your organization and revitalizing it. And she said it was appear, disappear, restore, you know, like those are things we need to do. Right. We need to make good things appear. We need to make a lot of negative stuff disappear and we need to restore 
our hope, our faith in each other, you know, so that general model was something that she said, I want that to kind of be our guide for this process. And I said, great, because that's what I do. (laughs) Exactly. And this is such a uh, clear differentiator for you from the, you know, this, this is something you're passionate about, something that you're obviously very good at. You put 50 years of your life in in fine tuning this craft and and when you get in front of an audience it's what people remember about you your message and then the magic that goes along with your message that just cements it for people it has been such an honor to talk with you about your special magic in the world and I'm wondering if there's anything that you had wanted to talk about that I didn't ask or whether we covered everything that you, you wanted to do to this morning. Well, you and I had talked before the show about abracadabra. And yes. I don't know if we have time for that. You or... know what, Les? I was, I was actually going to, because abracadabra is just kind of hand in hand with, with magic. And you have a great background about, about the why of abracadabra. So yeah. Can you share that with the audience? Everybody knows that word all around the world, except Asia. You know, when I have worked in Asia, they don't know that word, but abracadabra is kind of the universal magic word, regardless of your native tongue. And so uh, a few years ago, I thought to myself, what does that mean? And and when I was a kid doing magic, I never used it because I thought it was goofy and nonsense. And but one day I, so I started researching the word. I couldn't find anything other than, you know, it's a magical incantation. And that research took me to the language lab, linguistics lab at MIT. So I contacted them and, you know, long story about working with them on the research, but it was actually Noam Chomsky. A, a lot of people know Noam Chomsky as this, you know, intellectual powerhouse, but he was part of the linguistics lab at at MIT. That was kind of his home. And uh, he ended up doing the research and he called me and he said, are you sitting down? And I said, okay, I will. And he said, you ready for this? Abracadabra is an Aramaic word, you know, ancient sacred language predating Hebrew. It means I create that of which I speak. And so I've kind of reworded that, taken a little liberty, but I think retained the the real meaning of it. The way I use it is that abracadabra means what I speak is what I create. So powerful. And so our words have an influence in the the self-talk that we engage in, the talk that we have with our coworkers, with our children, our friends, has a profound influence on, you know, how we think and consequently how we behave. So abracadabra is a really nice shorthand, actually, because in relationships, so like with my wife and I, we'll be having a conversation and, you know, talking about our day and maybe one of us will start complaining and we'll go down a rat hole and, you know, we patiently listen to each other. And then at some point, one or the other will say, okay, abracadabra. And it's just this shorthand reminder of let's not dwell in the past. Let's not dwell in something negative. Let's note it and let's get back to what it is we're trying to create. So 
clients start using it. I mean, I had one client in Orange County in California that made Abracadabra their theme for the year. Oh, how neat. So they put Abracadabra on their computer desktops. They had stationery printed up with Abracadabra. What I speak is what I create. They started their meetings with Abracadabra. I'll, let's all go around the table and talk about what it is we're working to create together. It just becomes this shorthand for let's make sure that our words are in service of our greater purpose. Oh, that was so well worth giving the time to that. And what a beautiful way to close out our interview. Thank you, Andrew, for being with me this morning and bringing your brilliance to the audience. It's just been such a joy. Thanks, Meg. Thanks for your show. And thanks for being such a great conversationalist. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Andrew as much as I did. One of the things that I loved about it was that concept of where possibilities lie for us and how we open up possibilities for our clients to consider. If you'd like to experience that magic trick that Andrew was talking about with ripping up the paper in front of the GM board and then putting it back together again, he actually has a video on his site, andrewbennett.com, where he does that magic trick. I certainly don't think it's that exact one that he was talking about when he was in his mid-20s because he looks a little older than that in the video, but it does show you the power of his presentation. So visit andrewbennett.com and watch that video. It's really awe-inspiring. If you'd like to know more about Andrew Bennett, obviously you can go to andrewbennett.com. We also have his information on our resource page at starcoachshow.com, where we also have our ongoing book giveaway. And this week is our last week for Mindful Stepping, that deck of positive psychology cards from our guest, Eileen Schaefer. If you're enjoying the show, I would so appreciate if you would let other people know. My mission for 2019 is that every coach knows about the Star Coach Show and at least knows that there are resources available for them. That's what would make my heart warm. And I know you know people that I don't know. So please, let's get the word out. And another way you can do that is by leaving a rate and review at Apple Podcasts. The link to get to that is at starcoachshow.com, or you can go directly to Apple Podcasts, look up Star Coach Show, and leave a review. Now, next week, we're going to be exploring the barriers that get in our own way and how to stop self-sabotage with our guest, Mike Budrin. And that's another really powerful interview that I'm looking forward to sharing with you. So until next week, this is Meg Rentschler wishing you the very best for your coaching success. Have a fantastic week.